Hello and welcome. My name is Lloyd and welcome to the Book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Early Church, the Acts of God. And we're looking at Acts chapter 3, where a lame beggar is healed by Peter and John, by the power of Christ. Let's read it out. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement, at what had happened to him. <clears throat> so if you've been listening along, welcome back again. If you're new to this, this series, we're just taking time to walk through the book of Acts, looking at different passages, trying to understand what was said at the time when it was written and trying to apply it into our lives today. So a devotional series where we just look through the books of the Bible, currently in the book of Acts. And previously, in Acts chapter 2, we had heard about the radical early church community. And it spoke about how they were devoted to a number of things, including the apostles' teaching, fellowship with one another, breaking bread to the Lord's Supper, praying together corporately, sharing their material wealth, time, talents, treasures, to generosity and also on mission together. They were devoted to each of these areas. So they didn't do it casually, they were devoted to it. Now we begin chapter 3, which is similar in that Luke begins with this miraculous story. Then Peter comes and explains what happens. And then later on in, in, in a couple of the later chapters, we see there's a bit of persecution as a result as the scribes and Pharisees, as, as the religious establishment sees how the apostles empowered by Jesus and the Spirit of God do what they should be doing and make them feel quite bad. And so they start to persecute the early church. <clears throat> so let's hear of this remarkable story. Up till now, we've seen that the early church has been full of joy and progress and people being saved and the Holy Spirit being poured out. And let's see what happens now, a little bit further on in the story. 
So verse 1, it says that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And so it seems that the early church, the early church leaders, had not abandoned their connection to the temple, the temple worship, so to Judaism, from where the early church had essentially emerged. Here, Peter and John are joining in with the regular daily hour of prayer. And so it seems that whilst the freedom of the early prayer meetings and gatherings was exciting and, and full of life, there was still this stability of the liturgical life that appealed to many, including the apostles, are going back to the temple. So we see these two apostles together in this enterprise, walking together in two, so Peter and John. Um, and this is a practice that Jesus started. He'd sent out the, the, apostles, the disciples in, in twos, and then the 72 in twos. So there's this theme of team, of going in groups rather than going solo. And this provides safety, but also accountability, so that it wasn't just Peter going and coming back with a report that no one else had seen, but Peter and John were together in this. And it's worth noting that we were never made to do life, ministry, or anything alone. There's so many one another's in the New Testament. And what those are talking about is doing something with one another, community, being in a church community together. So there's something powerful about um, setting and maintaining a culture and a rhythm of prayer, which we see here. The disciples were going to the temple for prayer, and there's this rhythm of prayer that was, was part of the temple, um, the temple worship. And so they go back, and there's this, it's, it's very public there's this, um, there's this display of, of wonder. There's this corporate body that's coming together to call on God. And it was actually three times a day that there was this hour of prayer. And this drew large crowds. Um, something quite different to our modern day Western church, where the focus is often on a preach. And if we're to call a prayer meeting, a very small number of people will come. <clears throat> Here, they spend time hearing from God, speaking to God together. And this had not ceased. They wanted to keep this going. So Peter and John go to the temple. And it wasn't something boring. People were drawn to this activity. <clears throat> so let's see the revival of times of prayer in our church. God has said that his house should be a house of prayer for all nations. May we once again seek to establish this and see what God might do in our generation. So Peter and John off to this prayer meeting in the temple. And verse 2, a man lame from birth is being carried. So as they're coming, there's this man being carried along and dumped probably next to them. And he is calling on people as they go into the temple, can I have some money? And just as regularly as the service, services in the temple occurred, one man is regularly brought, carried by his friends to beg at the gate. And this man had never known what it was like to walk. Can you imagine that? Or even work. All he could do was beg. 
and he had to rely on his friends to even be able to do that. They had to bring him to the place where he thought he had the best chance of begging, the temple, those compassionate people, the Jewish people. And he was known by all because he'd been doing this all his life. Decades probably he'd been carried in this way and dumped at the gate. And he had never entered the temple, but he just came to beg outside of it. And it says here in verse 3 that he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple. And so he asked them. He spots these two, not knowing that they are bearers of the very presence of God, of Almighty God, that they hold the Holy Spirit within them, that they are the ones that Jesus has spent time with. And he thinks he's just going to get a bit of money from them, just like everyone else. So they are a target for him to beg from. But these two are part of God's people, his church. These two are part of the called out people of God. Called to be a blessing in every place. And here they were coming to the temple. So he asks them for money. And it can be easy to just give money to someone who's asking for money and almost get rid of them. So you, often in, in our cultures we can, we can see a beggar, someone asking for money, we just hand them the money and just move on, almost to deal with them and that's the end of it. Or even to be seen to be doing something, we just give the money and that's the end of it. But we see quite a different response from these apostles, those filled with the Spirit. It says here, Peter directed his gaze at the slain beggar as did John. And they spoke to him. They said, look at us. So they look at him and, and they say to him, look back at us. So normally when we see a street beggar, we often try to avoid eye contact to be able to pretend we almost didn't see them. So that gives us an excuse to almost walk past. So we can say, we didn't really notice you. So we're not, we don't have to do anything. And we can just keep going. And so we don't have to engage with them, we don't have to respond to them. But Peter and John stare at this man. And we must see people. We must notice people. We must see people and let them see us. We must signal to them that we have seen them, that, that we care. That's the most important thing. That's what the disciples are saying here. We care for you. We want you to know that we've seen you. And we want you to look back at us. Make eye contact with those who others will not look upon. And it's wonderful how they invite this man to look back at them. Look at us. The man probably expects more now. His expectations are probably raised. There's probably going to be some good outcome, he thinks. Most people just drop their money, their money and ran. And this, these two, they want me to look at them. Maybe I'm going to get a very big payout. Maybe it's going to be a large sum of money. Maybe an offer of a job. Maybe a home to stay in. So very different to the uncaring patrons they normally deal with where they just drop money and run. These two want them to see, want him to look back at them and they're looking at him. Can the church of today say to the world, look at us like Peter and John did? Does the church care and look enough like Jesus so that they can ask the world, look at us. What is your church like? 
can your church honestly say to society, to the community around, look at us? And is your church looking at the world, looking at the lame? Are they noticing what's going on in their communities? <clears throat> so the real test of a church being spirit-filled is not the presence of maybe drums and upbeat music and lively services and that sort of stuff going on, but whether we represent Jesus, whether we are a beautiful bride prepared and presented to Christ that the world looks at and they just say, that is beautiful. The way they love each other, the way they care for each other, the way they care for the community. So does your church serve like Jesus, live like Jesus, sound like Jesus, give like Jesus? And can she, when the world looks at her, notice that Jesus is presence, present amongst her? So what does your church look like? What does the world see in your church? So this man in verse 5 fixes attention on Peter and John, once, once more just expecting to receive something from them, expecting to receive money. So he responds to Peter's look at us by doing exactly that. That's good to, he obeyed them, look at us, so he looks at them. And this probably lifts his expectations even further. Maybe it has been decades since anyone spoke to this guy or noticed him, or looked at him or touched him or had any human contact with him. Yes, he had his friends carrying him, but that was more like a duty. But had anyone actually noticed him for all the decades he had been sitting at the beautiful gate? So eye to eye, these three get to know each other. The disciples looking at him, he looking back at them. And what next? What is going to happen? The world is often sick of a church that talks but is not present, does not give of itself, of its, of its money, it does not care. Peter wants to show that Jesus is in his church and the church cares and Jesus through his church cares. So verse 6, what happens? Peter speaks to him, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. In this one sentence, the beggar almost loses all hope and then unbelievably is told something impossible. So Peter commands him to look at, look at them. Now he commands them something that is not even possible. Unless, of course, Jesus is real. Unless God is all-powerful. Unless his spirit has been poured out. <clears throat> so like Jesus, Peter and John did not have any money. They did not have much money. They weren't, they weren't rich. They weren't wealthy. I guess this gives a judgment on the prosperity gospel that Jesus himself and his first set of leaders were very poor. They did not have anything to give. I do not have silver and gold. He couldn't even give. He didn't have anything in his pocket, didn't have anything to run back, no savings to go and get. So here we go. Many who are inclined to give 
do not have anything to give, just like Peter and John. And this is a paradox. And yet those least likely to give or want to give probably have the most. And it's interesting because we often think that money is the answer to a lot of things. But we see in this picture that money wasn't the answer. It was the exact opposite. It was the lack of money that was the answer. So if you have a heart to give, there is much more that you can give than just money. Much more. This is the what I do have that Peter is referring to. The lame beggar has his expectations absolutely outdone. As is the case always with God. He does more than he promises. Nevertheless, always more. So if you are poor in this life, you are very rich in God. So give what you can, what you have. Spiritual power, healing, love, affection, care and time. It is not always about money. Sometimes people don't know what they need the most. So they ask for what is easy, money. It can be handed over, it can be transferred. It can be measured as well. So it looks like you're doing a really good job if you're transferring money, if you're giving a lot of money away. And that, that's often how charities measure themselves, how much has been given away, the monetary amount. But we can also give and do better than money. We must keep giving, of course. That's really important. I'm not trying to go against that. But there's more to give than just money. This lame man is going to be unlamed. And if he is unlamed, he'll be able to walk and work. And he would not need to beg. He could actually contribute to society. And it's important to notice that it's in the name of Jesus Christ. Not just the confidence of Peter and John, which heals this man. In one moment, with quite another gift than was asked for, Peter transforms this man's life. His dignity, his value, his prospects, his work. Everything changes in this one moment. He gets a new life, essentially. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. Rise up and walk. And maybe today, if you're listening to this, you need to hear those words in some area of your life. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's some other area of your life that is lacking and you need Jesus to intervene. You need the power of God. And we firmly believe that it's in the Bible. God wants us to hear this so it's, it can happen. It's possible. There's, there's no sense that Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit and demonstrated healings and deliverance from demons to then just stop it all when the Bible was finished. No, this continues to this day. We, we hear many stories of people being healed, demons being thrown out of people, lives being transformed. And that is the, the power of the living Christ today. Signs and wonders are for today, most assuredly. So verse 7, Peter takes him by the hand and raises him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And this is a beautiful picture. So he, he commands him first of all to get up. He tells him he doesn't have money, but get up. But then he actually helps him. Peter helps him. He doesn't stand back 
and simply just tell them to do something. He doesn't give them this impossible task and then just stand back and, um, but he, he actually holds them, he grabs them. This person has never walked. How does he even know what to do? So Peter grabs him. He's never stood before. So Peter has to lift him up. But as he lifts him up and helps him at his point of need, something happens. <clears throat> and some people maybe around Peter were probably thinking, how, you know, how rude is that to say to a lame person, get up and walk? Jump up and walk, rise up and walk. How rude is that? How heartless. What, a, what an awful joke is this to play on a lame man, to tell the lame man to walk. Is that how the church operates these days? Is that how the church treats lame, needy people, makes fun of them? Peter owns it. He touches this man. He grabs hold of him. That's an important thing. That's what Jesus did to the lepers in his day. Most people stayed away from them. Jesus went and touched them and healed them. So Peter owns this person's problem. He owns his, his being separated from society for so long. He touches this man. And who knows when was the last time this, this lame beggar was touched or felt or hugged or held by someone. Other people carried him, but it was more as a duty. But Peter raises him up with the intention to see him walking so that he can actually carry a load himself. Since up till now, he's been carried by people. But Peter, with eyes of faith, with the promises of God, says, no, no, I want to see you actually carrying other people. You who's always been carried, you're going to get the gift of God to carry other people. And we often need to have faith for those around us who don't yet see what God wants for them. They don't yet notice God's purposes. They haven't heard God's promises. And we need to have faith for those people and call out God's purposes for them. Yes, Jesus heals us, but he often needs and uses human hands. And that's why Peter is here. God chooses to use the hand of Peter to touch and lift up the slain man and heal. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That this man who's been stigmatized for so long, he's the lame man, just walk past him quickly, whatever he wants, just give it to him and get on. No, no. Peter wades right into the situation and he grabs him, lifts him up, speaks to him, looks at him. Peter did not think or wondered what others had thought. He wasn't really concerned about those, the crowd watching by, those walking past. He was only focused on this one man. He was listening to God and focused on this lame beggar. And that's how we need to be sometimes. We need to close out the world around us and just focus on caring for that person ahead of us. Because the world will judge and condemn and criticize and think otherwise. We just need to be obedient to what God is calling us to. And look what happens in verse 8. Leaping up. <laughs> a lame man leaping up. That's a strange thing to hear together. He stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So Peter's response to help the man by grabbing his hand was not one of unbelief, like let's, let's, let's force him up on his feet, but it was one of love. He wasn't trying to give God a hand in this miracle. 
but he was showing love and compassion. And look at the man's response. Peter had loved this man. He had touched him, he had looked at him. And look how people respond to love. This guy leaps up, it says here. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk. Those are three things he couldn't do. He couldn't leap up previously, he couldn't stand, and he couldn't walk. Never mind beginning to walk. And the other thing he had never done before, entering the temple. He leaps up, so it's not just a polite, gentle, like um, wobbly standing up. No, no, he immediately rises to his feet. He is absolutely convinced that he's been healed. He leaps. He doesn't just walk tentatively away into the crowd. He doesn't want to keep this in. He rises up, he walks, he praises God. So you hear noise, you see a change. And he has never before walked. He who never walked is now walking. This is his first moment on his feet ever. What else could he do but praise God? And that's what he starts to do. He makes a big commotion in the crowd. And he enters the temple as well. He's never been in there before, so he doesn't have any expectations. He doesn't know that you're meant to keep quiet and be polite and sit over there and wait for the person at the front to say things. He comes into the solemn assembly and he just starts making noise and shouting. He's excited. He can't keep his excitement in about what's just happened. He wants to show people his new legs. And I think that, that group of people going to prayer, what they needed more than just sitting solemnly and having a, a, a ceremony was to see the living God at work in someone's life. And so as they all look and stare at this man who's now walking, all of them knew this man. He had been there for decades. He's known amongst the entire community as the lame man. Everyone's probably had, there's probably a rota for carrying him and dropping him off and picking up and taking him home. And he lets them all know in one instant and see with their own eyes the very impossible thing that they thought not was never going to happen and now it's happened in their time and it says in verse 9 all the people saw him walking and praising God so there was noise there was he was he was he was waving his arms walking moving around practicing with his new legs and they knew him because he sat there daily he was like a feature of of the landscape almost like a building and people had seen him day to day asking for arms and they were all, it says, filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. There was no doubt in anyone's minds who this was and what had happened to him. He had been an observer on the outside of the temple for years, daily being excluded, but never again. Now he's welcomed into the temple and he is making a lot of noise. This is the only response possible when God works in our lives is, is exuberance, it's worship. And that causes those around us to begin to worship as well. Amazement. The miracle makes way for Peter to preach a sermon. A sermon to confirm and explain what has happened. The miracle has made a way in the minds of the people for the word of God. It's almost like the ground has been broken, the concrete has been smashed with this miracle. So that the word of God can just land on soft, soft soil, so that the seeds that can be planted into, a, into ground that's, that, that's faithful, that can receive what's going to be said. 
And we'll hear more about what Peter says, how he explains this miracle. So do you need to hear those words? Do you need to hear in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk? Do you need to have, do you need to have the power of God impact your life in some way? Do you want to go to God and ask him for that? Or do you need to speak those words to someone suffering, someone in pain, someone lame around you? Today, would you believe that Jesus can heal, that Jesus cares, that his people care, that the church is the answer to all the problems of society because God is the answer. So Lord, would you come in power to anyone listening to this, would they receive power from on high? Not only to be healed, but also to heal others, to, to lay hands on people, to look at people, to care for people, to give to people what you have promised for them and to have faith for people who don't yet see it. Amen.